Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. The Venovas have been a part of our uh, family for 20 years, and in fact, uh, Mick and Marcia were, were baptized at our uh, at this church, and 20 years ago, and in 2003, and back when we were at our Webster location, and just to see him serve throughout the years. Uh, for those who know Mick, he had uh, he was a kind person, and sometimes we think kindness is soft, I means soft, but kindness is a fruit of the spirit, and there were, and there was a real strength to his to his kindness and. And one of the things that he, one of the many things that he did is he, he oversaw a big part of just of stewarding the, our benevolence fund. And he, he was, work out of our office down, offices down in the city and, and just meet with person after person after per person. Uh, that people who had a long list of, of needs, one of those was financial and to see the patience that he had uh, and the the way he had administered um, these funds wisely and compassionately, but 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 many times even just um, just giving of himself to um, to these individuals, and he him and Marsha led groups, and they um, it was you know group would start you know seven o'clock at night, but his night started at five thirty when he went and pick people up who didn't have rides, and he was surrounded by people um, who had needs. And uh, there's, a, there's a saying about Jesus that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. And there, there were people who weren't like Mick who, who liked Mick because of his kindness and compassion. And then, of course, his night would end at 10.30 or 11 when he took them all home. And he just did that week after week after week after week after week. And many, many people relied on him and will miss him tremendously. I was, we were privileged to, to know him. Um, we are in uh, the, the book of Matthew, if you want to turn there. We've been going through the gospel of Matthew 9. Uh, we've been going through the gospel of Matthew since last fall. And... Um, we're bumping up against another major teaching section of Jesus. And uh, there are four Gospels, four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew is unique in that it has uh, the most teaching in it of Jesus. And there are five major teaching blocks of Jesus. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and this is the second one. And it's, the, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a block of teaching on uh, how to do mission with Jesus. And so we're calling this series Love in Action, Living Sent. And, and it says toward the end of, of Matthew 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The word compassion is our, is our word for the day, compassion, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, it's huge, but the laborers, the workers are few. Therefore, here's what we do, we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send, that's an important phrase, underline that, highlight that, 
out laborers into the harvest field, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. We have a, 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 this dog, Ollie. He's been our, part of our family for four years now. Um, there he is. Uh, thinks he's a human being. Um, and he protects our home. At least he thinks he does. Um, and I remember, I remember when we first got him as a puppy, and it was particularly true then. It's still true now, actually. But, you know, he sees a bird, he wants to run after. We're walking him. He sees a bird, wants to walk, run after the bird. He sees a, a dog, for sure, wants to run after the dog. And uh, sees, he just runs after, runs after, runs after, runs after, runs after. And I, I have this experience. Maybe if you, have, if you have a dog or an untrained one. We're not, we've had three kids. We're not, we don't want to parent a dog. And so we're, we're done. And so we just done terrible. And... Uh, and um, so we're, we're walking, you know, Rachel and I would be walking uh, this dog, Ollie, and, and we'd have this thought, we'd say to each other, I don't know if we're walking Ollie as much as Ollie is walking us. I don't know if we're so, he's so much going where we want to go as much as we are going where he wants to go. And as I think about this dynamic between our dog and us, between Ollie and us, I can't help but think that at times, that at times it's, it's like the, dyna- the dynamic between myself and Jesus. Because the invitation of Jesus is to come follow me, come live as I live, come do as I do. But am I following him where he wants to go? Or am I trying to get him to follow me where I want to go? When you read through the Gospels, you see that many people, many, many, many people wanted to be associated with Jesus, but not everyone, very few, in fact, wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to be fed by Jesus. They wanted to be healed by Jesus. They wanted to be taught by Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be included in their life, but the invitation is for us to be included in his life. Jesus loves me, died for me, heals me, cares for me, but the invitation isn't for Jesus to be on team Brian. The invitation is for Brian to be on team Jesus. We have, a, see, we have a baptism. Um, who's, I guess the guy with the t-shirt. <laughs> You're not getting baptized. Jesus is not getting baptized into your name. You're getting baptized into his name. He's we- We're wearing his jersey. It's, the idea isn't that he wears... Our jersey. But here's the temptation that I have, and maybe, maybe you can relate. Is I tend to wake up thinking about my mission, what I want to do, my plans for my life, what, what I need to get done that week, that day, that month. And I, Jesus, we, I, I've got these, this agenda today. Can you help me out with it? Versus... Me coming and say, Jesus, hey, what's your agenda? And how can I get involved? It's two totally different ways of living. In one of the, the litmus tests, sometimes I'll ask myself this question, and maybe this is a helpful question to ask yourself. Is G- if Jesus was to answer all your prayers in 2022, think about them for a second. Who would be better off? 
Here's what would happen. You'd be, you'd be like 10 or 15 pounds lighter or maybe more, I don't know. You would certainly have more money. You would have the job you want. You'd have the life that you want. You'd have that car. You'd have whatever. And, you know, a few sick people would be healed. The invitation isn't for... First of all, let me just go back. Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Don't stop praying those prayers. That wasn't my point. He cares for you. He loves you more than... I could possibly, possibly, possibly communicate, but here's the temptation. If I'm honest, I'm wanting Jesus to be available to me, not so much me being available to Jesus. I'm trying to send Jesus in my mission instead of me um, living sent on the mission of Jesus. Now, you're at Jubilee Church. Here's what I know about you. If you're at Jubilee Church. You're a member of Jubilee Church because you want more than that. I know this about you. You wouldn't be here if you did not want more. You'd get sick of me for a lot of reasons, but that being one of them. Left alone, Martin Luther said our heart goes, it's in, uh, in carvates in se, which means it's curved in on itself. The heart is curved in on itself. We, it doesn't take long before our heart just says, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. We want wholeness. We want life. We have found that in Jesus, but our, our temptation is to over and over again seek to our own, I'll call it, use this word, mission. We use that word a lot, mission. Jesus was so clear. He was so clear. If you seek your life, you will lose it. He's just, but if you, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. He just, I mean, so many ways he tried to make this concept really simple for us. Okay, hey, okay, get this, okay, get this. Here's, here's the agenda. Over every day, over every hour, over every week, over every year, seek first the kingdom of God. What about these other things? Well, what other things could you possibly be worried about? Other, well, you know, like where we're going to eat, or where we're going to live, what we'll wear, where we'll go to school, what our Don't worry about those things. Easier said than done. We worry about those things a lot. You may be worrying about them right now and you just start paying attention to what I'm saying. I don't know. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Why, why should we do that? Well, because you know that you have a father in heaven who loves you. People who don't know that they have a father in heaven who loves them worry, worries about these kinds of things. We'll come back to that at the end. But... The idea, though, is that we have this, this, this mandate. And so verse 1 of chapter 10 says that he called them. He called to him, I should say, his 12 disciples, representing the 12 tribes of, of, of Jacob, basically everyone. And so we're part of this, that every person who follows Jesus is, is called. And those who are doctors know that. You know, they live on call. They live like ready for, for someone to call them and say, okay, now you're in. We need you to do this. And there's this very, very famous passage in Romans 8 that I want to pull something out so that, that we see how big this is. Romans 8, 28, 30, it says, and we know and we know and we know that those, for those who love God, all things work together for their good. For those who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose, okay? So that's the calling. The calling is to his mission, which is great, by the way. 
should, this is like great news, amazing news. For those, for those whom he foreknew, so he foreknew you, he had foreknowledge of you before the foundation of the world. When was that? Who knows? It was a long time ago. That's all you need to know about that. Before that, he foreknew you, before you knew you, before you were aware of you, he knew you. And it says that he predestined you. He predetermined your end. He, he predetermined your, your, he had a, he, he has this big plan. It's way bigger than you. That didn't start when you became a Christian. It didn't start when you were born. It didn't start when uh, the church was born. It didn't start when this world was born. It was started a long time ago. The foreknowledge of God says, I've got this big plan I want to do with humanity. And out of all the billions of people in the world, he says, I've got, I've got a, just a part for you. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Okay, now it's your turn. Get in there. That's what happens when you live called. And we're all meant to live that way. Understanding that it's not... It's not, it's not somehow like we need God in our life. Hey, get, you need God in your life. No, 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 no. You need to get in God's life. You need to get in him. Paul said it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. And it's not about us. It's, you see, this is why God feels so small and like irrelevant. Because we're trying to fit this massive God in some wedge, 90 minutes, twice a week, 1.7 times a month, whatever it is, into our lives, when in reality, the big thing is that we get included in his. Which is way more exciting. In a parallel passage to Matthew 10 in Luke 10, it usually doesn't work out this way, by the way. You usually don't, the, the numbers and the chapters don't work out, but in this instance, it works out. It's a very similar passage. And he says this, the Lord has appointed and sent them to a place where he himself is about to go. This is the other cool part, is that we are sent. And that's that word mission. When we say mission, it's a Latin word missio, which just means sent ones. That we live sent. We live intentionally under the direction of God. That we, we're like, the, you know, we're like on the sideline. I know football's over, but we can still talk about it, right? Okay, so we're sitting on the sidelines waiting for the coach to call us into the play. And he calls us. He calls us into, and this is true for everyone. Well, how do, how do we know that we, how do, what, what mechanism does he use to call us? He uses this divine emotion called compassion. Compassion. Jesus hurts when he sees people hurt. He feels for it deeply. In, in, in Latin, the word compassion is made up of two words, which means uh, uh, to, to come, and it also means to suffer. So it means to suffer with the mission of Jesus, this is important. The mission of Jesus is not motivated by his disgust for people because we are such filthy sinners. That is not his motivation, although we are. His mission is not motivated because we have disrespected his authority, although we have. 
His mission is motivated by his compassion for you and you and you and you and you and, you and, you and the whole world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. It's no, it's no, it's, it's no surprise that the first time that we see Jesus, or see, excuse me, see God describe himself in the Bible, when he speaks about himself, do you know what the very first word he uses to describe himself? You're never going to guess it. A compassion. All right, you're smarter than I thought. It's what he says. He says in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the, this is how he describes. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood there with him, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. It's who I am. Then he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. This is what God was proclaiming. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Now, let me just help us understand something even about that. Sometimes we, we put ourselves like in the, in the, in the seat of like, okay, what, let, me, let, me, let me describe and critique God. Is he compassionate or not? I just want you to understand, I want us to understand, is that this is, well, I'll say it this way. 1 John 4 says this, we love because God first loved us. The only reason why we have a category called love is because God is love. God doesn't just do loving things. He is the pool from which love comes from. This thing called compassion is a divine emotion that we experience because we are, and everyone in the world experiences at some level because we are created in his image. Does that make sense? So it's not like, hey, which God is compassion? No, we, we are, we, the only reason why we have the capacity to feel this is because this is the nature of who God is. Is it's it, it, the word compassionate and the noun form compassion? They're closely they're they're it, it's connected to like the womb. In fact, God often compares Himself uh, to like uh, you know like can a, He says in Isaiah, can can a, a nursing mother forget their child? Though she may forget, that's wild. I will never forget. It's amazing. This is who He is. So he didn't, you know, how can God sit back? Here's a, here's a question. How can God, it's a big question that gets asked all the time. You know, I just don't know about this. You know, I, can't, I wish I, I, I'd love to believe in God, but there's so much pain and suffering. Just how could God sit passively by with all this pain and suffering? He does not sit passively by. For, for he sent his son. So the father and the son are hanging out, having a conversation. What do, we, what do we do about this suffering? So in, in Exodus 3, he hears the cries of his people under this, the, the, ter, uh, the tyranny of the Egyptians, and he is moved with compassion for the affliction of his people. He sees the world in their suffering and their sin, and he's moved with compassion, so much so that he entered our world, became he himself an object of suffering. It wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was his compassion for you. So what about all the pain and suffering 
in the world now. I'm glad you ask. asked. 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 So he says to Moses, so in the, in, with the Egypt, he doesn't say, he, so he says to Moses, hey, I see, I hear the cries and I want to do something about it. I want to I go to Egypt and I want to show the Pharaoh, I'm going to show the Egyptians how much bigger that I am than how powerful I am. I want to show my people how much I love them. But what he doesn't do, he doesn't come and say, oh, come on, guys, we're getting out of here. He says to Moses, you go. Moses is a type of Christ. We are to follow in the image of Christ. And it's compassion. This is what God does. He wants to first wreck your heart for what wrecks his. And he did this with Moses. So, he, so, so Moses, one day, he's oblivious, and he's living in the luxury of being the prince of Egypt. He's just doing his job, very good at it, very successful, enjoying the... One day, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and it wrecks his heart. Why not the other times? I don't know. He wasn't called. Now, Moses kills a guy, which... It wasn't what God wanted to do, just in case you're wondering. And so Moses goes in the desert for 40 years, and it wasn't until 40 years later he says, hey, you remember when, you, when your heart was wrecked with I'm wrecked? I am too. I put that compassion in you, and I'm getting ready to send you back so that you could do something about it. So we're not motivated in our mission to help, God all, help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, make a difference. It's not motivated by duty or guilt or shame and like, you know, we just... It's compassion. God wants to wreck your heart for what wrecks his. I mean, we see this in, uh, I saw this in Mick. His heart was wrecked for those who were less fortunate. I was at a conference three, um, a couple weeks ago. 300 leaders across North America in our movement of churches got their hearts wrecked for Gen Z. And I mean wrecked. Tears, snot, the whole nine yards. Just people like the, the Dillons and the Stanleys and, and many others have looked at the father, fatherlessness in our society. Hearts broke and they entered that space. Jennifer Crumb sitting over here saw people with disabilities and difficult to participate. In many churches, in fact, parents with uh, children with special needs rarely attend church because of the hurdles that they have to face. It broke her heart. And she stepped into that space. He saw the crowds. He had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's worth noting, as a side note, the core issue of his compassion was their lack of shepherding. I mean, he just healed them. He just taught them. I mean, just imagine that you just, today was like the most amazing teaching you've ever heard. Now, just imagine. Use your, use your imagination. <laughs> use your mind's eye. Imagine your favorite speaker, whoever that is. Don't say, well, say it's you, Brian. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Maybe later. No, no. But the, the, this is the most amazing teaching you ever heard. I mean, being taught by Jesus would be pretty amazing. 
And then whatever physical, emotional, mental issue you came with, you were healed. Everyone healed. If the sum total of your walk is this, you know, or this, he looks upon you as hurting and helpless because you lack shepherding. We're referred to as sheep more than 400 times in the Bible. The Bible's trying to communicate something, which is you have a profound need for shepherding. More than you need healing, more than you need good teaching, you need shepherding. It's why we have groups. And here's what he does. He, 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 makes, he turns sheep into shepherds. He demystifies it. He didn't say, hey, he, he, says, he says the harvest is plentiful. The workers, not, he didn't say like, you know, the, the, the pastors, the evangelists, the genius organizational leaders. And he says workers. He doesn't say like, hey, we need to get out there and sow seed and produce this harvest. He says it's out there. We just need someone to go pick it up. We should need somebody to go pick it up. Stepping into like being a, 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 a leader of a group, we use that word lightly, or like stepping into it and being an apprentice, just like I want to just, I need shepherding and I want to make sure other people get shepherding. And I just want to encourage you in, in that, that this is where his heart is breaking. But let's move on because what I'm really encouraged by is his realism. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He doesn't say, therefore, go do something about it. I mean, that's what Moses did. He went and killed someone. Just, I feel it. I got to do something. He says, even Jesus finds it all overwhelming. The needs in this church, the needs in this city, the needs in this generation, the needs in the world, the needs wherever, it is overwhelming if you allow your heart to feel it anyway. And he says, man, we need to have a prayer meeting. And, and that is what we're called to do. The source of mission from a human side is a prayer meeting. When you read the book of Acts, from a human perspective, it is ignited by a prayer meeting. Any attempt to do the mission of God without God is doomed to fail. And so even, like, we have to get in tune with the sovereign, like, the mission of God, getting tuned with the sovereignty of God. And so we pray that God would send. Not that I would send. I'm not the sender. You're not the sender. You don't, God is the sender. You don't send you, God sends you. Psalm 127 this is, I'm a very achievement-oriented, task-oriented person, so this, this verse regularly scares me. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, those who build it labor in vain. This dependency that we have. So God wrecks our heart for what wrecks his. We want to do something about it. And he says, the thing that you need to do is you need to give yourself to prayer. And as a church, we... For 26 years, we want to give ourselves to prayer. And here's the thing. Beneath the death of prayer for a church or an individual, this is going to sting. 
So just prepare your heart and remind yourself that I'm your friend and I love you, but this is going to hurt. Beneath the death of prayer at a deeper level is it, it lies the death in a real belief that only Jesus saves. What do I mean by that? Well, there, there's other ways that people can get help. It doesn't have to be Jesus. That's what a lack of prayer for the mission of God reveals. It can happen some other way. Somebody, you know, we can give them some money or we could, somebody will do something. I've got a few formulas. For those who like formulas, nobody does, but I do. So anyway. Prayer plus action minus, I'm going to talk about the interplay between prayer, action, and compassion. Prayer plus action minus compassion equals religion. Nobody likes that. So Jesus, big complaint to the Pharisees. He he heals someone on the Sabbath, heals a paralytic. They get angry at him. They were technically right, but he says, this is what you lack. You lack compassion. This is a divine emotion called compassion for the paralytic. How do we sum up all of what God wants for us? wants us in, in the Bible. How we sum up the Bible, sum up his law, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This vertical love that he has for us poured out into our lives works its way out horizontally in the life of others. They lacked compassion. It's religion. We don't want religion. Thumbs down. Compassion plus action. This is Moses. Minus prayer equals dead works. Unless the Lord builds a house, all this is for nothing. Zeal without knowledge is folly, it's exhaustion. And we can do that corporately, we can do that individually. What do I mean by that? Well, at the end of time, there's a judgment. And and the things that we do, that we are called to do by Jesus, is all that remains. When you stand before him, he is not going to ask you about your GPA. Thank God, right? At least for me anyway. He's not going to ask you about your, he's not going to ask you about that stuff. He's going to ask you, did what I called you to do, did you step in and walk in what I called you to do? And everything outside of that is what the Bible calls hay and stubble, and it gets burnt up. It comes to nothing. So that can be true as a church. That's why we want to pray. That's why I say that, that verse haunts me. And it can happen in, in your life, too. And you're thinking, why didn't no one tell me that? I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Compassion plus prayer minus action equals disillusionment, just purposeless. What, why are we doing this again? Why are we, why are we showing up every Sunday again? Why? I forget. Somebody remind me. We are called to have our hearts broken by what breaks the heart of God, give ourselves to prayer, and move to action. Here's a new one that I wouldn't have, been in, I wouldn't have had this formula three years ago. Compassion minus action minus prayer equals self-promotion. So your goal isn't actually the people who hurt. Your goal is to quiet the ache in your heart, and you seek to be comforted through the affirmation of other people. Just 
heart emoji for Orlando. Okay, I'm done with that. A little heart emoji for this person. This person, oh, just heartbreaks for this person. Biblical compassion, biblical compassion, compassion always, always, always leads to a solution. Now, you may not be a part of that solution, but it always leads there. Yes, we rejoice with those who rejoice. Yes, we weep with those who weep. But biblical compassion goes way beyond sympathy. It goes to, God doesn't just, oh man, I just feel bad for these people. Man, I hope somebody does something. He he went after it. Oh, this is what we want. We want compassion plus prayer plus action equals God's mission. God wants to wreck your heart to align it with his. That's what compassion's all about. He wants you to pray. And because we have a joint mission, a corporate mission, if you will, we, we gather corporately to pray. And then we want to be willing to be the answer to our own prayer. That's actually how God most works. He, he breaks your heart. He did that to Nehemiah. He saw the destruction. He heard about the destruction of, of Jerusalem, wrecked his heart. He prayed, and then God made him the answer to his own prayer. Works that way a lot. Sometimes, sometimes he makes you the answer of somebody else's prayer. Um, there's some, particularly this happens down in the city, I'll often, a parent will come up to me. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for stepping into my son's, my daughter's life. We've been praying for him or her for years. Sometimes it works the other way. It, somebody else is the answer to our prayer. Our thing is that we take it to prayer and we let the sovereignty of God call us. God, our heart aches for this. Here I am, send me. A lot of times he does, and sometimes he sends someone else. I remember one friend in particular about 15 years ago. We prayed and prayed and prayed for this. We invited him to everything and tried all the tricks in the book, and none of them worked. And then someone else came around with a far less pizzazz than us. But that's the thing that worked. That's the thing that worked. But we ultimately hold that in God's hands. Why don't we stand? I want to end with a very, very important point, if the band can come up. Like I said, the parallel passage to this is in uh, Luke 10. And then he sends, so he sends the disciples out. And what happens is they like, I mean, they, they cast out demons, they heal people, and they are pumped they are pumped. They are high-fiving. They are, they are pumped. Look, at, look what happened, Jesus. And he like, man, you guys did great. But then he says this. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here's what he's saying. He's saying a couple things. One, one, I like what you're doing. I don't like why you're doing it. Because you're not actually rejoicing. Hey, people are liberated. People are free. Isn't that amazing? You're, you're rejoicing in what you do. And the thing that we never do, that we never do, that we never want to do, I should say, is rejoice in who we are. We're not trying to, hey, Jubilee's amazing. That's the flag we're waving. No, it's not the flag. We're waving the flag of the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses. So that's one thing he's saying. But then he says something else. I think it's more probable. He says, rejoice in this, that your names 
are written in the book of life. When I was in the mid 90s and I was in college, I got my own apartment and I got the, 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 we, the I hope this, we had, got the landline phone from like Southwest Bell or so, whatever it was, I can't remember, kind of vaguely remembering. Southwest Bell. And here's the cool thing, when you get a landline phone in your name, you know what happens? So you get delivered something else called the, called the, the white pages, the phone book. And the first thing I did, you know what I'm going with this. The first thing I did when I got this phone book is I looked for my name. And just like, wow, my name is in the phone book. There's another book my name is written in. Mixed names written in. Is your name written in? Have you lost the joy of your salvation? What does it mean to have your name in? Well, I said earlier, Moses is a type of Christ. And he saw the wickedness of his own people after they had been rescued. And God's getting ready to judge the people. And Moses, a type of Christ, stands in the middle and says, do not blot out their name, blot out mine. Your name is written in the book of life because his was blotted out for you. Part of what happens is that we, we, we go to services and we do things and we learn facts about God and quite frankly, we're bored of those facts. But what we need more than anything it isn't that we can, okay, who, who's the people that I can be compassionate toward? Who can I, what can I do? Okay, fine, I'll, whatever. I'll give that guy on the corner some money. Let him wreck your heart because he died for you and your name is written in the book of life. Jesus, we rejoice not in what we do, but what you have done for us.